Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and I'm the co-chair of the JOMA Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here tonight with Dr. Alyssa Hellman. Hi. Dr. Hellman, hi, is an experienced board certified OBGYN. She's been in practice for the past 10 years in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're actually in a different time zone. She received her medical degree from NYU and completed a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the North Shore Hospital in Manhasset. She's also the physician at the Confident Kala, a telemedicine gynecology practice focused on the needs of Jewish women who observed Harat HaMishpacha. Throughout her years as a clinician, she noticed a gap in women's health awareness and education. This developed into special interest in patient education and being a resource for the Jewish community in relation to body awareness and women's preventative health starting from a young age. And so we have a lot to discuss tonight, and I really want to start with how our daughters to build a healthy foundation for them, we really need to start from the youngest age. And when I say healthy foundation, I mean a healthy foundation for healthy sexuality. For sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for um, inviting me to talk. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a, um, no problem. This is really a topic that I'm really passionate about and um, excited to talk about. Um, so just kind of getting right off the bat, when you mentioned like what is important for a healthy foundation for our daughters to know about. So number one, um, it's all about learning about their bodies. That's kind of where everything starts. Um, understanding what their anatomy is. You know, a lot of women anatomy and girls anatomy are very internal. So it's mm -hmm. more understanding what's going on in there. Um, you know, I can't really see everything. So how can we learn about the anatomy part of it? Um, and then kind of offshooting from that, um, also developing a healthy body image. And that's really understanding your anatomy also really helps with that too, because you understand all the changes, sometimes very quick changes that your body goes through and what you kind of expect or what you like or what you don't like and kind of framing it as to what's normal and being okay with what your body looks like. Um, and then if those two things, kind of understanding your body and liking your body um, are kind of you know, have a strong foundation in a girl's life that can lead to later on when she's in the dating process, thinking about getting married and thinking about entering into a sexual relationship with her husband, um, kind of having a better understanding of how her body works um, in regards to her sex life and what's normal, what's not normal, what she feels comfortable with, um, if she thinks something is wrong, be able to identify it. So it really, they're all very connected and um, are all really important to understand um, kind of before you kind of enter into each one of those phases. And this starts with, you know, even infancy and early childhood, right? For sure. So, you know, I mean, even as little girls before even puberty starts, I mean, you know, our little daughters, they're noticing, they're seeing their mothers pregnant or they're their older sister's bodies 
change. And so there's definitely an awareness of what, you know, that things do change um, in a woman's body and, and that they can go through lots of changes, especially with a pregnancy and you see your mother's belly get bigger. Why is that happening? Uh, how did that happen? Are questions that do pop up in girls' heads too. Um, and then as far as when they start going through puberty, kind of having that understanding of what's, what's normal, what's not normal. Like, is anyone going to talk to me about this or do I have to figure it out on my own? Do I ask my friends, my sister, my mother, and just kind of having a good kind of solid foundation of what's going on with them. Um, and that really, the more they understand what is normal um, and have a really safe place and person to talk about it with, um, it only allows for super healthy relationships to develop as they start doing more things with their bodies. Um, so yeah, that's right. But yeah. even going back further to, you know, young, young children, you know, when I talk about building a healthy foundation, it starts really early on with how we relate to our daughter's bodies, right? For sure. So and I don't want to, I don't want to go too far ahead. I don't want to get to puberty yeah. yet when I want to start with right. say your two-year-old, three-year-old daughter. Right. So that, I mean, when we focus on that, that has to do with like healthy habits. So mm -hmm. how do you talk to your daughters and even, even your, your sons too, but how do you mm -hmm. talk to your daughters about what they're eating and how much they're eating and what's healthy and what's not healthy? And do you not want them to eat candy because you're going to get fat or because it's not healthy for your body? So there's positive ways to talk about your body and there's negative ways to talk about your body. Um, exercise, what can your body do? How amazing is it that your body can run a hundred laps around the house? Um, that's so amazing, yeah, that's so cool. Like, how did you, what an amazing body that you have. Um, and kind of focus on all the good stuff that your body does, um, all of your senses and all these little things that kids are, are really focused on, little baby books and all the stuff mm -hmm. that they, they, they get anyways, like at preschool or in, at, you know, in um, children's books and shows and things like that. So um, yeah, starting of course with nothing sexual or anatomy or, or female related, but right, definitely more of like healthy eating, healthy activity. Um, and so they just understand that their bodies are really great things that can do a lot. And, and as for healthy eating, I think it's also important to encourage them, you know, to have pleasure with eating, because I think that part of having a se healthy sexual relationship is being able to have pleasure, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So understanding like what gives you pleasure. Um, and, you know, I think when people kind of hear that phrase, they always think it's has a little bit of a sexual connotation right. to it. But um, it's true. I mean, how many senses do we have? How much do we love eating that delicious piece of cake or smelling that amazing flower, you know, um, kind of focusing on everything that gives our bodies pleasure. Um, but then also understanding that if we, you know, it, it comes with limitations as well. We can't sit there enjoy, I mean, we're happy to have pleasure and we, but we can't eat the whole cake, right? Because that's not healthy. So understanding that even if something does give you pleasure, it's something that we have to control in some way um, and we can't go out of control with it. But knowing that what does give you pleasure for whatever sense you're using um, is normal and great and um, acceptable um, to kind of explore. So you kind of figure out for yourself what works. Mm -hmm. And that's a great segue into the concept of, of limitations in terms of how we 
approach um, young children who are self-stimulating or masturbating. Um, right. I think it's an important topic to at least spend a few minutes on. Um, and I think it's also a good time to say that it's normal for parents to be uncomfortable with this. I'm, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a mom and a bubby. And as a doctor, I'm fine with this. And as right. a mother, right, it, right. It, it can be very uncomfortable to face the fact that your children are also sexual beings, right? Right, right. And I mean, I think we also have to kind of, you know, especially you being a pediatrician, I mean, you understand different ages, there's mm -hmm. different kind of thought processes behind it. So, you know, a six-year-old who may be doing that may be like, wow, this feels good. I don't know why it feels good. It just happens to be a part of my body that this is somewhat of a pleasurable sensation. There's really no um, strong sexual connections to it, um, you know, because they don't really have the that sexual attraction yet um, towards the um, towards the opposite sex. So, um, but right, understanding that you know, if that if masturbation is something that a young child is going to do, understand that you know what, even though this is okay, and it's not something you can do out in public or right. in front of other people like there's still a privacy aspect to certain pleasurable um i guess outlets or activities um and you know that also are are still okay but not not always okay in every situation um so you have to be yeah it's also kind of a way to teach appropriateness um and and use that um and as someone gets older and and there is more of like a sexual attraction or sexual thoughts involved in activities like that. Um, so that's when you have to really make sure that it's understood that these are these are private moments with yourself and not um, not to be done in an appropriate way or in public. Right, and we're not touching upon yeah. halacha or hashgafa right now. This is purely a medical right. talk. But back right. to the young children, because I'm still in the young children. Yes. I'm not ready to grow them up yet. Um, and it was just really important to say that you don't want to inculcate shame in your children. You know, however right. you're going to tell them, whether you're going to tell them it's private or whether you're going to try to distract them, right? Don't do it right. with shame. Right. And you shouldn't, you don't want to like yell at them and say, stop doing that. That's wrong. You never want to say it's wrong because they're right. still going to still keep doing it. And then they're going to feel bad that they're doing something wrong. Um, so, right. It, it, and I think distraction is great. Or even just you, you know, the phrase, do you need some time by yourself right now um, to kind of take them out of the situation? Or maybe, maybe they don't even realize what they're doing. You know, and you right. want to kind of help them understand, well, what you're doing now is probably more of a private moment for you. Um, yeah. And don't forget to teach your kids the proper names for their genitals, please. For sure. And that that's so important. Um, it, and the reason it's so important is because later on when they, you know, if something's wrong, they can tell you where something is wrong. Um, and there isn't that shame or that, that giggling or that embarrassment of using words like you're, you use the word finger when you're talking about a paper cut that you get, you know, why not use the word vulva when you're itchy there, you know? Right. Um, so, which is also a common small kid problem. Um, but um, yeah, it just gives them the vocabulary to explain and un like understand what, where a problem may be and what, 
what they're you know made up of and also we are very aware now in all all areas of of our firm world about the you know, potential for sexual abuse so it's also really important to protect our kids by teaching them the names and also teaching them about privacy and i think that's something that we we are doing a better job of i think for sure in terms of educating i think our schools are are doing that yeah i think they are in the past i think for sure i think they definitely are um i think that um children are also understanding what that what they if they have a feeling of this doesn't feel okay to me to be a little bit more vocal about that or this is this doesn't feel right um or if understanding like there are certain things that are per for private moments just with yourself or you know there's certain people specifically who may be able to touch you there but maybe only up to a certain age um you know just as, as a personal example we, i have a daughter and two sons and you know from a very young age you know when we're giving them a bath we say okay we, we will help you wash your back we'll help you wash the back of your legs and your hair and your face but when it comes to your private parts your vagina your penis your tush that you here you take the sponge and you mm. have to have to be the one to wash that because even though i'm your mother even though i'm your father even though your doctor can check it if you're having a problem um if we don't have to this is something for you to do so understand that this is for them to touch and for them to even give permission to right you know to take a look at if something doesn't feel right right um, so so to kind of put the ball in their court and say mm -hmm. this is i have control over my body and who sees my body and who touches my body right and that's something i make a big yeah. deal of when i do my exams on children of all ages for i sure. go through this is the private parts of your body I am allowed to look because I am a doctor and your mother or father is right here. And then I say, can I? It's a problem when right. a little kid goes, no. <laughs> right. Okay. But I'm making a point to the parent. I'm modeling to the parent at the same time right. that I'm telling the child, this is your body. You have autonomy over these private parts, especially. Right. Right. Your exactly. body. And that's really, mm -hmm. really important. I'm ready to go to puberty now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, great. That's that's uh, that's my comfort zone. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll leave my pediatric comfort zone. <laughs> right. Um, all right. That's the so, question, but but we're, yeah, I, I know you you had some thoughts on um, puberty education in school. I don't know which schools do this. Um, I mean, I, I mean specific schools. I can't tell mm -hmm. you just I'm not I'm not I don't kind of live in your area but um I mean I'll tell I mean, you I meant my, in terms of in terms of yeah. from the modern to more high radio spectrum right. I don't know who's doing what I did look up that a couple schools like SAR I think and um, yeah well I'll tell you schools. the I'd say the more you know to generalize and use labels which I'm not the biggest fan of but the more modern orthodox schools mm -hmm. I'd say definitely do I'd say they're probably more comprehensive of a combination of um puberty and sex ed depending mm -hmm. on the age of the age of the class of course um i mean my my i mean granted i'm out of town um but my kids do go to a kind of yeshivish slash hasidish school um that has been amazing um kind of working with me and kind of allowing me to go where i want to um i give the fifth grade uh, sorry sixth grade girl um puberty class and definitely I'm 
you know, there's a little bit of limitations of what I'm able to do, but um, I really do feel like I can give the information that's important to these girls. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Um, so I think more and more um, schools are open, you know, even more yeshivish or Hasidic schools are more open to this as they see more and more pathology coming right. out in, you know, once people are married or, you know, starting relationships and are, are having trouble and are feeling more open about addressing those concerns. And well, hey, maybe if we kind of dealt with this before it became a problem, right. Maybe. Prevention is an ounce exactly. of prevention is worth, yeah, for sure. Pound of cure, and yeah. and it's definitely possible to do it wherever your you know hashkafa is in a in for a way sure that tanua it is definitely right. possible. Right. Um. You know, just kind of going back to my personal example. Um. Whenever I I give the talk, the rabbitson of the community, who is of course very respected, um, comes in and she's the first person to talk and she frames it as oh, this wow. is amazing. This is look at the amazing way Hashem made our bodies be able to function. And you know what, sometimes it's not always so fun. And sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable. But look at how amazing your body is and what it's able to do and how healthy you can be. And, um, and then and then I do like the medical stuff, but, you know, but it, it kind of introduces the topic as beautiful as, as just, yeah. So nice. I also, I heard this amazing, um, college teacher talk once, and she was saying that when she told her mom that she got her period for the first time, the first thing her mom said was, like how amazing that we know what your body framework. works the way it should. Right. And it, it was, it was so, it's like practically makes me cry. Um, but I really, more of this. we need this. Right. We really and do. It, it really um, makes girls feel so okay with themselves, you know? Um, so, so yeah. Be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then as far as the, the puberty talk I give, it's really about kind of, I start out with the vocabulary. Um just using the words like vagina and vulva and um, clitoris and anus and, you know, there's hair there. And, you know, I, I, I don't get too medical with sixth graders, but, right. um, you know, being, being pretty specific. Um, and then also not just focusing, of course, there's going to be giggles, like the minute it starts. And I kind of also say, I know you guys are going to laugh and it's totally fine, but these are words I use a thousand times a day in my job. Um, and it's just a normal word for me, you know, so you can laugh if you want, but by the end of the talk, you probably won't even feel like you need to laugh because um, it'll be normal for you too. Um, and then not just focus on, I think the, the puberty talk is such like a, a like a, kind of nervous class for them. They're kind of really interested to hear, but they're also nervous to like be mm -hmm. spoken to about stuff that's usually so private that I also really focus on the periods and the breast talk at the end. And I really focus a lot on like more normal stuff like acne and emotional changes and just getting taller. So things like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. Okay, now let's talk about the girly stuff that is usually a little bit like kept more private. Um, so I think there's ways to kind of ease them into that talk and make them feel a little bit more comfortable with it than just saying like vagina a million times and bleeding right. and, and then <laughs> all, all kind of like freaked out. Um, so 
Um, and it's always, I mean, I, I love getting questions and it's, um, it's the more engaged and the more informal, you know, I can be, the more questions I get. I've also found it's really helpful to have um, a, the Rebitson, who is great and wonderful, but also slightly intimidating, um, you know, for a sixth grader um, to step out of the room kind of quietly and, you know, discreetly, because that also kind of eases the tension a little mm -hmm. bit and allows mm -hmm. them to feel more comfortable asking questions along with the teacher of the class actually ask me a question, even if she knows the answer. Um, but once they see, oh, my teacher's asking a question also, I will too. Um, and so it, it kind of eases the whole, um, the whole situation. It's awesome. Yeah. So I just want to mention a little plug for the HPV vaccine as a pediatrician. <laughs> yes. And I don't know about um, what your community, you know, how accepting they are of this particular vaccine. I do have to say that even when I'm dealing with families that are not Jewish, you know, slash religious, right. um, they react very emotionally to this vaccine because what this right. vaccine says is someday your child will have sex. Right. <laughs> you know, and, it's, yeah, go ahead. And so they, they, they often will say, well, I can't do it till my child gets their period. You know, they have this in their mind of I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. And, um, it's that much harder, I think, right. in the from in the from world. But I'm going to point out at this point that the HPV vaccine, which prevents um, disease associated with the human papillomavirus, um, can lead to cervical cancer and genital warts and a number of things, um, works best in younger kids. And it for doesn't sure. mean that they have permission to have sex, which again, we're taking for granted that premarital sex is forbidden. Um, right. That's, that's a given between um, us right now in this conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it does not mean that they have permission, but it works better when they're younger, but it also gives you a chance to talk to your daughters and your sons, but yes. we're talking about girls right now. Right, right. Um, you know, it's always so funny. And I also, I do experience the resistance in the from community mm -hmm. along, with, along with just a general weariness of vaccines um mm -hmm. that is out there um right. and he always amazes me like why did you what why are you okay with the hep b vaccine and, and not the, the hpv well, a lot aren't a lot aren't just so you know right um one's true mandatory and, and, and one's not and right there have right. been arguments about making hpv mandatory which is going to be okay that'll be fun a nightmare no I mean, right. it's not worth it um, and you know i always kind of frame it as um this this isn't um, obviously an ex a, a way to make your daughters more promiscuous. Right. It's just a way to protect them. You do not know who your daughter is going to marry. You don't know who your son's going to marry. Um, they could be the most amazing from yeshiva boy, kolo, kolo learner, you know, and super, super from but has had a past right? And, or is Valchuva and, you, and mm -hmm. what did they do in college at the frat party? You have no idea. And that's not something that's on a shidduch resume. And, and that's fine. If you, if you decided this person is, is who you're going to marry, because they're amazing for all of their other reasons, wonderful and great, but you can't take away potential exposure that your daughter may have that you don't even know about. And it just, I think, gives such a peace of mind of, you know what, I have to worry about this type of cancer in my daughter so much less, you know, knowing that I don't know exactly the past of the person she's marrying. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, 
that's number one. And um, number two, I, I also feel very strongly about the HPV vaccine and, and cancer prevention and, um, you know, whatever we can do to make our children healthier. So I am also pro HPV vaccine, definitely. Right. And it's very yeah. effective and very safe. Yes. Tell you what people say on the internet, which should not be your source I, of medical yes. information. Yes, yes. It's, um, it's definitely frustrating having to um, counter all of that um, in the office. And it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, but I think if you just kind of give the education and give the statistics that you have and, and say cervical cancer is pretty much non-existent in this country, um, you know, and, and not only that, but most people don't get cervical cancer from HPV. They usually get dysplasia and pre-cancer and the procedures done to treat that mm -hmm. have obstetric complications in the future right. potentially so do you like do you want your daughter to potentially go through this it's not just about cancer no one thinks they're going to get cancer you know um, but it's it's the other things that people may not know about completely because they haven't gone through it themselves that um that is what we're really trying to prevent um too so yeah and I also um, want to, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I want to mention an article, actually a set of two articles with the caveat that not everybody may be 100% comfortable with everything she says. This is Tali Rosenbaum, who's a from sex therapist. And she wrote two articles that were both in Times of Israel blog. Um, they're called 10 Healthy Tips for Raising Sexually Healthy Daughters and 10 Healthy Tips for Raising Sexually Healthy Sons. Um, she wrote them a couple of years ago, and I think they're worth looking at um, and yep. taking from it, you know, what you're comfortable from. And I think one thing that I got from, from reading this is that so much of these tips have nothing to do with the physical act of sex. Because I think, right. you know, even for those parents who are not comfortable with that, and again, since we're going to be um, uh, expecting our kids not to have sex before marriage, right, as a given. Right. Um, we'll talk about college teachers and what you do in a few minutes. Um, I think that it's important to know that there's so many things that we can do to build that foundation. Right. And I think, um, you know, she, I, I do, Besides. I think the articles are great. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think a lot of her points have to do with having a healthy understanding of what sexuality is mm -hmm. and how you feel about it. Um, and depending on what type of exposures your child has, depending on what community you live in, what schools your kids go to, they may get more or less exposure. But I think one of her big points is use that exposure for positive lessons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you see a, like one of her examples is if you're someone who does watch TV or does watch movies, don't be, don't try to turn off the one little kiss that you see in, in the movie, in the movie scene. Why? Because then you're making it a shameful experience that no one should be seeing. You could also say, you know what, this is, um, you can see the loving relationship between them or you know what this isn't something that we do before marriage but you can see how it expresses love between two people just as a personal example um my daughter she's 11 she is an avid reader like eats books up like you wouldn't believe and read harry potter um i'd say i don't know two years ago she finished them all and wow. 
you know, I was a little nervous about book five. There was a, there was one very awkward kiss in the book. There was, no, there was not really sexual at all, but you know, it's definitely, this was the first time I think she's ever read a book where there was some sort of boy girl relationship. And I, I also happen to love Harry Potter, but so I didn't want to take the story away from her, but we kind of sat down and we're like, look, you know what? This happens. It happens in the book. You haven't read it yet. Um, this is not something that we do. This isn't the type of relationships that we have being from Jews and trying to not being not be like sexual and physical with the opposite sex before we're married. But just so you know, this does happen. This is something that a lot of the world does. And um, it's just not something we do. But and, and she she kind of was like, okay, cool. And then read it and like almost like didn't even make it a big deal because mm -hmm. I brought it up and I made it like I put it into the way kind of I wanted her to understand it in her world being mm -hmm. a you know going to a firm school and being a part of a firm family and and that worked out really well and it was just kind of like okay yeah there was a kiss but whatever. Um, and so it makes people understand that this is kind of normal in the world and it's healthy and it's okay but in religious Judaism, these are our, this is how we incorporate it into our lives. These are the relationships that we do these activities in. And these are the relationships that we don't do these activities in. Um, but the feelings behind them are normal. So that's, that's kind of what I take from the blog that she, um, the article that um, you were referring to as just, use everything as a healthy teaching opportunity mm -hmm. um, with your children when it comes to physicality and sexuality. Right, right. And yeah. we're our best models for our kids. Right, for sure. Right. And also yeah. the idea, you know, back to a positive body image, um, the ability to experience pleasure and without shame, but within, of course, the limits that right. you mentioned before. And that may be where, you know, some people are not going to agree with everything she says. There are some you know, variations with where you're going to draw the line, right? Right. Of what those limits are, um, which I think is different from the way, you know, the secular world may may frame it. Of if it feels good, then do it. <laughs> right? Right, right. So, so and that, not that's the Torah, right? Right. And that's, that's something that we even talked about when, you know, going back to the little kids, like, mm -hmm. okay, if it feels good, you know, maybe do it in a private way or there's not, it's not just a free for all. Like you have to understand what's appropriate. Mm. Um, and we're not, we're not trying to shame you, but there's still the right time to do anything. Just like there's the right time to do lots of other activities, um, you know, not related to being sexual or physical at all. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really, really nice messages. Um, you know, and I think she was just trying to make kind of get girls comfortable with their bodies, comfortable with their their physicality. She mentions things like, you know, if you're in a safe girls only place, like wear a regular bathing suit. Right. Don't feel like you have to cover it. Be comfortable with situations where it is okay within religious Judaism to be a little bit uncovered. Because if you always feel like you have to cover yourself, maybe you'll be a little uncomfortable when you're having sex with your husband and you're you're going to have that shame and that uncomfortable feeling of like oh my gosh no one's ever seen me my legs you know um let alone anything else so um she, i think she kind of uses little examples 
in a from girls life of how can they sneak in little ways to feel more comfortable with their bodies in order to de to develop a healthy relationship like physical relationship with her husband later on mm -hmm. and you sort of got close to a topic i wanted to cover at least for a second which is um modest dressing for girls and mm -hmm. how we how we frame that for them right yeah i'm i I think there's um, a very delicate line of, you know, there is the, the halacha of what girls should be covering. Um, and there are the when that is taught, especially at a young age, um, you know, we're in, talking grade school, really, it's, it can be taught with this is the reason that we do it, um, as opposed, you know, for you, as opposed to, you have to do this for the men or for right, exactly others. you know mm -hmm. so if you put it on you're doing this for you you're doing this so someone can look you in the face instead of looking you in the chest when they're talking to you um or not being distracted by you, you know your body parts and they want to listen to what's coming out of your mouth or what's right. you know what's what's in your brain you know and you frame it of a very more of a positive body image um kind of concept as opposed to you don't want the boys to get distracted by you right um you know then they're like well maybe i do want boys distracted by me you know and they'll <laughs> they'll start having these thoughts of like oh that will do it let me try um you know that's something that um that i think there's that very fine line of not making them feel oppressed as a girl who has mm -hmm. to like hide themselves from the world and understand that sneas is um really actually quite empowering exactly um, and and there's a lot there's a huge range of what is you know different community different jewish communities and what is is considered sneas what's considered not um but um and and you know just like with any being in any different jewish community you know i think children understand that there are different types of jews and different types of observance levels uh, but i think it's more you know you can wear pants potentially and be really tenuous and really modest as a person um as opposed to someone who wears a super duper tight skirt where you can see everything so there's really it's more of like a concept of how why how are you why are you getting dressed the way you are mm -hmm. and what are you thinking about when you're getting dressed not what are the actual clothes i'm putting on me um so um and that really helps with like healthy body image and how the how you view the other sex thinking of you um yeah right right so it's another chance for us to teach our daughters exactly and make that foundation for for their leader um right healthy sexuality and now i'm ready for them to get married okay. <laughs> um, finally. And I want to learn more. Okay, finally the confident color here we come um exactly. i really <laughs> want to find out more about what you do with your confident color and contrast that to a classic color teacher and i just want to point out because we talked about this before we started that what you do is to complement a color teacher not to um yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'd say, you know, after someone gets engaged, I'd say, um, well, let me let me let me start over there. So, you know, when someone is going through the let's let's use a very kind of typical orthodox like going through a shidduch process, dating for marriage, um, 
hopefully when they have started that process, they do have kind of an understanding from the, the stuff we talked about before of understanding how their bodies work, what their bodies look like, um, understanding a little bit of what's normal, what's not normal in relation to menstrual cycles and breast development um, and um, how they feel about sexuality um, so that they kind of have a somewhat of an understanding of how they work. So then, okay, a girl, gets engaged, um, probably will see a college teacher next. And I feel like a college teacher's job is to number one, go over the halachot of mikvah and nida. Um, that's definitely not my job. Number two, hashkafa on marriage and what like how a developing relationship happens between a husband and a wife who have probably not known each other for very long. Um, and reviewing you know issues that can come up in like relationship wise um and ways to kind of deal with that what to maybe expect as someone who really has no experience with boys um and then also so that i mean i think that's the main job of a college teacher um i think because there really hasn't been a lot of physical like kind of physical or sexual education in the schools mm -hmm. that job has was kind of just assumed by the college teacher. So going over diagrams of what the female anatomy looks like, telling colleagues to take a mirror and look at their vulva and their vagina and, you know, spread open the labia and take a look at what's there. Um, and um, understanding like the mechanics of what sex is like, what does what is sex, you know, some people don't even really understand that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my role kind of in my um, my kind of telemedicine gynecology practice is really to be there for the more medical part of it, not the hashkafa, not the halacha, but also I have the understanding, having been through it before, um, that I can understand the background of someone who has who is having these concerns and has been through college classes. Um, and to focus more on the gynecologic and the medical aspect of it. How can we make it so you're not a chupat nida? Do you need a prescription for that? Are you having irregular periods? What does that mean for you in regards to fertility? What does that mean in regards for you to going to the mikvah regularly or, um, or you know, long periods or uncomfortable periods or no periods? Like, is there a gynecologic issue that may impact you and your new life practicing to heart hamishpacha um, with the framework from the Kala teacher um, and then kind of complementing more the medical part of it. Um, and then I also feel like as a gynecologist, I, I feel like I I'm kind of have a safer space to ask the really explicit questions. Um, mm. So, you know, if, if a Kala would come to me and be like, what, like, I don't, can you explain sex to me? Like, I don't, what does that really mean? And like, there's a lot of different kinds of sex that people have and oral sex and, and genital sex and anal sex and, and things that you really don't hear about from a Kala teacher explicitly. And sometimes people get, have this confidence and this, um, almost like enlightenment when they're like, oh, that's what that means. Now I get it. And they may not do all the things that we kind of talked about are possible to do, but at least they have an understanding of what their anatomy is like and what that 
what do you do with it? Um, and, um, and then also I like to focus on what normal versus abnormal is. Um, so many people are scared that they're not normal. Um, and there's such a huge range of what is normal in so many gynecologic situations, period length and, and breast size and labia size. And, um, you know, you can really just make people feel a lot better by being like, yeah, no big deal. That's totally normal. There's nothing to worry about. And more than likely your husband's not sitting there comparing you to tons of other girls he's been with because he probably hasn't been. So you don't need to feel this, you know, he'll, he'll be happy to, he loves you. He wants to marry you. He'll be happy to be with you no matter what. Don't be so like self-conscious. And some people just need to hear that. Um, so there's, there's always a little bit of counseling as a gynecologist, no matter who I'm talking to, but um, it's really uh, just about normalizing um, things that they are concerned about and just kind of letting people know what to be concerned about. Like, so going over um, pain during sex or, you know, what's normal, what's not normal, how long should it be, you know, what type of problems may you run into and what are very simple solutions that you may not have even heard of um, that, you know what, you could probably just try to solve this on your own, having that knowledge before you're married. Um, and instead of feeling like something's like broken or something's wrong with you. Right. And this is, you know, really great for prevention because like we said before, you know, understanding can prevent problems later just because they didn't know these basic things. Right. Right. Um, That's awesome. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are a lot of Kala's, you know, there's, there's guys, I, I generally see like two different sides of the spectrum. One is they are so excited to get married and they are, you know, you, they just cannot wait to be with their husband and you see them with their fiance and there is that you see the chemistry between them mm -hmm. and it's so adorable. And you just know that at least the like attraction and the chemistry and probably the initial part of the sexual response is going to go really well because they're just so excited to be right. together. And then, and then you see girls who are so nervous and so scared and so like just squeamish about the whole thing. And that's really, I think that the girls who kind of need a little bit of that extra focus, um, mm -hmm. this is going to be okay. It may not be amazing and perfect in the beginning, but you can get there and you can get there by understanding yourself more, understanding your husband more and what are, what is, what kind of situations do the men go through so that you understand them, um, open up communication with each other and know that go to a doctor if you're, if you're having a question, go back to your college teacher if you're having a question. There's really, there's so many resources you don't have to ever feel like this is not gonna work for me or I just have to live with this problem my whole life. Right, and I presume they could also come back to you for follow-up. Yeah. No, for sure. For, mm -hmm. for sure. Right. So, you know, my goal with my practice is to see people when they are kind of starting out the dating or engagement process where, you know what, are you aware of your periods? Are you aware of your cycle? You're thinking about getting engaged. What's a good date for you to get married based on your cycle? Or this is the date you're thinking about. What can we do 
you know, with a few months in advance to kind of help make that happen. So you're not worried about your period, then you have so many other things to worry about. Um, but you know, when your wedding gets closer, um, and then great, you're married, how did it go? You know, is there, you know, it's been a few months, are you having a lot of pain is something not you feel like truly is not right. Um, you know, kind of going over that, obviously, as as a telemedicine practice, I can't do any exams. So if there mm -hmm. truly is a problem that I feel like really needs an exam, of course, you know, I refer out to like a, obviously a physical gynecology office so she can get an exam. Um, and then, and then assuming, you know, pregnant in the somewhat near future based on their choices, um, you know, there's a lot of, of issues that can come up postpartum with bleeding and spotting. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also issues with perimenopausal bleeding. And, and so, yes, I definitely kind of like start with kind of start, ideally start seeing someone when they are in that Kala process, but then really there's so many um, ways to kind of help from women who are going, are going through the Nida and Mikva process and need things to, kind of work out in that, for that, those reasons um, that don't always work out, but sometimes can be helped with a gynecologist, so. Right, do you recommend an actual gynecologic exam before, because you won't be able to do that by telehealth? Right, so ideally, that's great. Um, I'll say most, most people have normal anatomy. So mm -hmm. um, the reason that a premarital gynecologic exam is helpful is if you feel like, there for, for two reasons. One is, do you, do you feel like something may not be right? Have you tried to put tampons in? You just never were able to do it. I feel like something's wrong. I feel like my anatomy is not right. Um, you know, and, and get the exam to say, hey, look, everything's fine. Maybe you're just nervous about it. You know, I've had colleagues in my office who I'll put a Q-tip in their vagina and be like, I want you to know a Q-tip is all the way far up your vagina you know, we, you did it, something can go in there. And that's really reassuring to people. And then I say, go home, here's some lubrication, practice with a tampon, a skinny little tampon, and slowly work your way up to like a bigger tampon. And you'll feel more comfortable with something being inserted into the vagina. And that really, I think that helps people who already have like a really nervous, um, kind of attitude towards the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and then number two, to, if you just want to get checked out and have that exam for the first time. Be like, okay, I'm gonna have sex soon. Nothing's ever been in there. Like maybe I should just see what it's like. I mean, obviously a speculum in my Joanne office is very different than you know sex in the bedroom with right. your husband who you're attracted to. But um, it kind of gives people reassurance like, oh, no big deal, or that wasn't horrible. I'm, I think it'll be fine. And it gives them the kind of the mental reassurance that when something else is trying to go into the vagina, it won't be maybe as scary as they thought. Um, but um, I also get a lot of resistance and kind of like, I just want to plan my period and I don't really feel like I need to do an exam. Um, and great. I mean, I never, would never ever force anyone. And that's where I feel like telemedicine is pretty helpful. Shine, um, it shines here, right? Right, <laughs> right. Silver lining for that Exactly, one. right. Um, so, and you know, a lot of people are afraid of bleeding beforehand or, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I just, I, I really try to just be the doctor in the mm -hmm. room because they, 
they already have everyone else. They have their mother, right. they have their college teacher, they have their husband, they have their rabbi. Like right now they need a doctor. So I try not, you know, I try to really just be the doctor right. um, in that room. And um, I think it's somewhat comforting. Like, okay, finally someone I can ask like super explicit questions to, and it's not embarrassing. Okay. Okay. So speaking of explicit, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about tampons. I know we talked before we started that that was something you're passionate about. So go for it. Yes. Um, so I am, I, I think it's, tampons are great. Um, I think they are so helpful um, to girls to kind of help them understand and feel comfortable with their bodies, both um, even like in the beginning of getting their periods and then also when it comes to sexuality. So, um, you know, back when, like in the beginning of getting your periods, I do really think that just for comfort level, um, kind of getting used to that whole monthly bleeding, it's helpful to have, uh, to use pads um, in the beginning, just as you get comfortable. But then like as the summer comes around, um, or even if it's during the summer, and people want to go swimming, and girls are like, I can't go swimming if I'm bleeding, you know, that really, and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Why are they sitting out of the pool and all their friends are in the pool? What do I tell them? I'm so embarrassed. I feel like this is like, like, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? This is something that's supposed to be private for me. I don't feel comfortable. Um, it's a great opportunity at that point to kind of start thinking about using tampons. It makes girls feel like they have control over their bodies, that their peer is not something that's controlling them, that is limiting their activities. And um, it's really kind of a, a great kind of opportunity to start talking about tampons. Um, when we talk about the actual, like, well, how, how is this going to happen? How is she going to get this in herself? So I'll usually talk to moms about, well, why don't you say, if you feel comfortable sitting over a toilet or sitting in a different position in the bathroom and putting a finger inside the vagina, if you can do that, then you should, then you may feel more comfortable putting a tampon in. If these girls are, you know, taking a tampon, like, where does it go? I don't even know. But, um, you know, that kind of gets them a little bit more nervous. But if you put, if you kind of, you know, wrap a piece of toilet paper on your finger, whatever you're more comfortable with, kind of putting it, finding that vaginal opening. And so they know where the tampon goes. They feel empowered of like, hey, I got it. Like I know where it's going to go. Um, and then of course, either using one with a, um, a plastic applicator, cause it's easier to go inside, um, either wetting it with water or using a very, um, like water-based gel lubricant um, can really help things go in easier. And then as you get more comfortable with it, if you find, as you find the size that works for you and what fits in your vagina well and what um, is comfortable, then you can also kind of slowly use bigger and bigger tampons to kind of almost stretch the vaginal opening a little bit. Obviously tampons are not as big as, as right. other things in the vagina too. So, but it is kind of a way to understand what size can go in there and what, oh, that feels fine. Like it's, it's not uncomfortable. And I think going forward now to when uh, someone is engaged and they're entering into a sexual relationship after marriage, they have that kind of internal body comfort level mm -hmm. of like, hey, something can go in there that's great. Like I'm not as nervous about it because I know that 
that something can. Um, and even though obviously tampon use is extremely different, you're in a different emotional state um, than when you're in the bedroom with your husband, right. um, you know, but it's just knowing that, yes, I am comfortable with the internalness of my body and that something can be there and it will be fine. Um, and, um, and I, I do find that girls who wear tampons generally have an easier time with being comfortable about their bodies and comfortable having sex and, you know, and it gets, it gets easier closer to the beginning rather than it kind of being a more kind of longer drawn out kind of nervous process for them. Right. Do you have any parents who resist that though? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes I do. Um, you know, I, I'm not, um, this is definitely not something I'm an expert in because I, I, I haven't really ever gotten a great answer, but I know that there are more kind of, I guess, I don't want to use the word religious, but generally communities where tampon use is almost looked at as mm -hmm. like losing your virginity or mm -hmm. is it going to cause bleeding? Is it going to break the hymen? Um, you know, is she not going to bleed on her wedding night when some people feel like she has to, she doesn't have to, um, she's going to be in Nida no matter what. Um, and a way to, um, you know, it just, I feel like it kind of takes a little bit of control away from a girl or from a woman who mm -hmm. is, is trying to feel more comfortable with her body, but is saying, no, you can't do this. And someone else is telling her that, um, where really it has, has nothing to do with any other person other than herself. We're talking about her period. Like that has nothing to do with anyone but her. Um, and so I never got like a really great, like halachic answer of, is this, is it, does it have a halakhic basis for people hesitating? Um, you know, I don't really know. I'm definitely not, not the one to give that answer, but, um, you know, I, I think the point is also just like, I want to be respected for the views that I have that some right. not Jewish or less rich people have. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, okay, fine, right. whatever. I mean, it could be that, that at 12, that's not right. At 16, that's not right. You know what? When she goes to seminary, when she, you know, goes somewhere, I mean, when she's a little bit more on her own, maybe she'll feel like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is something I want to try. Um, and um, at least know what's available. Um, and that gets back to even when I give my puberty classes to sixth grade, I bring a pad with me, I bring a panty liner with me, and I bring a tampon with me. Mm. And I, I, I'm like, this, look, this is what it is. Because some people have never seen them before. Mm. And at least they kind of understand what they are and what to do with them. Um, and um, I think that's just really helpful for them to at least know in the back of their minds, even though my mom won't get these for me, or even though this is something that totally freaks me out and not something I want to try, maybe one day I will. And at least I know about it. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, gives some comfort for them just to have that knowledge. Absolutely. And yeah. you also, you told me about a book um, that I hadn't heard of before, and I just wanted you to mention it. Yeah. Um, As so a good resource? A yes, it's a really great resource. Um, it's definitely more for um, pre-marriage and post-marriage. Um, it's a book given to me by a wonderful college teacher I know. Um, the name of the book is called The Newlywed Guide to Physical Intimacy. Um, and it is written by 
um, Jenny Rosenfield, um, who's a PhD, and David Ribner, um, who's a social worker. And um, so it has, has both the female and the male perspective. And it's a very easy read. And it is pretty explicit as far as situations that may come up that people are just don't know what to do and they're super confused, but may have a very easy fix to it. Um, it focuses... Um, Death, um, you know, most of it has to do with intimacy and sex and, and how you view your body and your body's response. Um, but there's also bringing in the relationship aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great book for college to read both, both before they're married and after they're married. Um, because sometimes if you haven't had that sexual relationship yet, you, you don't always get what they're talking about, but then if you, you know, a few months later, you read it again, you're like, oh yeah, I kind of know what this girl's asking. And they have a really nice information section. Then they have like a question and answer section. Um, and um, it's just a super easy read um, and really, really informative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good to know. And just one more thing, and I thank you so much for spending so much time with me tonight talking about these such important topics, um, oh, is to tell us how to find you. Yes so, yes, so I'm on the internet. Um, that is where telemedicine is. Um, and um, the easiest way to get to me is just to go to my website, www.theconfidentkalah.com. Um, and from there, it's a pretty simple page. It kind of explains who I am, what my like kind of hashkafa and where my background is and what led me to this. And then also a really easy click of a button um, to make an appointment. Um, and then um, when someone makes an appointment, they get um, an email from me um, to my medical records where they can fill out a patient intake form. And then I send you a video link. So it's really just two emails. I send you a video link and it's kind of like Zoom, but it's like HIPAA secure. So it's not actually Zoom. Um, and, um, and then we have a talk and see each other on video. And um, I've gotten really great feedback on it. And it's been really, really wonderful. I just, I feel good after every visit. I feel like, um, like I'm kind of helping girls who may not have gotten had the resources that I can give them. Um, so it's empowering for both of us, I guess. Right, and you can do everything short of an actual exam. You can prescribe, for example, the birth control pills. Yes, yep, I can prescribe. All the cycles, um, so they're not correct. needed. Right, so, and that, that's the point. I mean, you don't wanna talk, just talk to me and then have to go somewhere else for Exactly. Yes, yes, right. I, um, I do prescriptions, and then um, down the road, hopefully soon, I will have capabilities for lab work and talking about results, and then, um, you know, kind of building a background that just in case something does need any, like, type of intervention that mm -hmm. I can't do over the computer, at least, like, you have, a, you know, a better framework of, like, what your diagnosis or condition may be. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this so much and thank you so, so much for doing this with me tonight. Uh, a lot of, of important information. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking. And I'm so happy to talk about all this. I'm really passionate about it. And um, I, I really hope that um, people learn stuff tonight. Um, and then also like any questions, of course, you can always contact me like via email um, from my website. There's a little contact. Um, mm -hmm area and yeah i would love to hear from people that's great thank you so much yeah. again no problem night. thank you you too bye-bye so. 
Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.